throw over the middle. Has the end zone, Trey Turner this time will tiptoe inside the end zone. Touchdown, Virginia Tech. Blumbrick the sneak, did he get in? The push from the back. It's Blackshear, the extra nudge needed. And the Hokies have a 20 to 10 advantage. That will do it, Virginia Tech. Off Richmond 21 to 10 in a non-convincing win, but a must-win for the Hokies. Welcome in on a Monday. This is the 3304 Sports Podcast. You are listening to this is episode number 72 of Dan is always wrong at sports. Uh, <laughs> Dan Steinbach here alongside with me is Colby Bergstrom, as always. Uh, just coming, just coming off the weekend, you know, big football weekend. We have a lot to get into. That well, let's just start off with this. This that was our worst weekend uh, for the picks, and Colbert still yeah. was able to manage to grab another three games on me, which I'm very upset about. Uh, <laughs> most specifically, I was very upset at the end of last night's game because Aaron Rodgers did the stupid thing again, where he gets like literally less than forty seconds worth of time to go like fifty yards, and it just happens because the defense just lets him. Uh, so that was very annoying. Um. Uh, I, I, I don't know, but we have a lot to get into today. Uh, just a quick programming note. Uh, today is only going to be college. Tomorrow, we will be splitting up our Monday show uh, into college and pro. So tomorrow, we will be focusing on the NFL. And then going back to last Monday's show, uh, following the West Virginia loss, where we were talking about that Virginia Tech game, we introduced two new segments, the ACC Power Rank and the Fantasy Football Waiver Wire. We are going to be flexing those. The ACC Power Rank will now be preempting uh, the picks every Friday or, or every, you know, end of week show. Because this week we're not going to have a Friday show. It'll come out actually earlier in the week, but we'll get into that. And then the Fantasy Waiver Wild will be attached to the pro show. So that will come out tomorrow uh, along with that. So, Colbert, I want to welcome you in and then we can get rolling here. Uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Um, obviously, uh, as you're kind of mentioning, the picks was a little bit crazy, but um Beyond that, I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. New week. Uh, fall break will be coming up this week. You know, one day of fun. And <laughs> we'll see where, where we go from there. Yes, that's right. Fall break is this Friday. Uh, I will actually be leaving Thursday morning. So I'm giving myself a nice long weekend. I'm going to be going back up home to Michigan. Nice. Uh, see my family and whatnot. So, yeah, that's what my weekend is planned for. I have three exams on Wednesday. Not looking forward to that at all. Um, but... That'll basically be the end of my week, and then I'll just be done, and then we'll come back. We'll do it again next week. Uh, good timing, too, since Hokies are on a bye. So how about that? Let's just segue into it. Uh, I liked what uh, Kevin Dean Medico said, by the way. Shout out Kevin and Tyler Katz for being on the call for this past game against Richmond. That's what the audio you heard was in the intro. And I like what Kevin said, saying that this past weekend was an unconvincing win. And, I mean – what, what, what more can we say? We've been talking about it all season. Ever since the North Carolina win, I still made the point that I need more time with this team because what I saw offensively from that team outside of those first three series against UNC, it wasn't good enough. And we see that again uh, against Middle Tennessee State where they just, you know, they did what they had to do. They put points on the board, but you could see that they had trouble moving the ball in instances. And then you go to the West Virginia game where they can't pick it up until the end of the game. And, you know, they fall behind and you basically resort – uh, resort yourself to believing that they're going to lose that game. And they do e e even with, you know, how well defense played and got them back in that game late. And then you go into this past weekend and you're looking at everything. Look, first drive. Awesome. J 
Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson can really scheme up a first drive, but then for the rest of the game, it just looks like the offense has no idea what it's doing. Uh, the offensive line could not get any push. It just was not a good day for them at all. Uh, here, I, I, I just got to pull up the running stats because I know that this has been something that I have uh, been talking about, just this running game not being, you know, that explosive. So, you know, while I pull this up, I mean, you just, you think about what you were watching on Saturday and you were seeing, you know, Braxton Burmeister making some overthrows. You know, you had your wide receivers make really nice plays. That Trey Turner catch was outstanding. Uh, but the yep. throw right before that, he missed him on a slant. They go right back to Trey and he does an amazing uh, toe tap in the end zone. So, you know, awesome to see there. All right, here we go. I just want to pull up the uh, rushing stats real quick. 106 yards on 33 rushes. You're averaging 3.2 yards per carry against an FCS school. I know we were talking with Carter Hill last week, and I know that Richmond for an FCS school has some bigger guys on either side of the line of scrimmage. But still, it, you feel like that level of competition, you have to you have to show something, and you have to go out there, and you just have to you know, really lay it on them. Uh, the wide receivers had really good games. Like Trey Turner and Taven Robinson both getting six catches. That's what we want. We want to see them have that volume every week because we know how talented they are and they put it on display, but end of the, end of the discussion. I mean, I'm just like this Braxton Burmeister had a QBR of 32.8. That is abysmal. Uh, but here's just like the, the fact your offense only put up 14 points against Richmond and that's not good enough, like at all, especially with what you're just looking at around, you know, the ACC, everyone's saying, Oh, this, conference is so wide open we're going to talk about everything there but man it just was it was so frustrating and that final score gets you know it, it, it made it's made better by the number because you know you have that Tavion Robinson punt return but this offense just could not move the ball uh they couldn't put it in the end zone they were not efficient at all on offense I don't know so I, I can't say that I'm putting this all on play calling or whatnot because I, I saw that there were some critiques and some people defending. I'm not going to defend the play calling, but I also can say that I don't think it was. I can't say it's the sole reason. I think the offense has a litany of issues. Uh, play calling can be one of them, but then, you know, you see the offensive line struggles. You see the running game struggles. You see Burmeister struggling with throwing the ball. All of that working together is not a good recipe for success. Now they have a bye week and they have the Notre Dame game. And look, I'm just going to say this right now because, I mean, we're going to talk about Notre Dame a lot more next week. Uh, not so much this week. They're on the bye. You know, they'll have to work out the kinks in that offense. And, you know, Justin Fuente was talking about that today. But I, I seriously have been thinking about this. I honestly believe that Virginia Tech can jump out to a 14-0 lead or at least have to get a 10-0 lead in the first quarter because they'll be scheming so well this week that the first couple drives will look really, really good. But then they'll just stall and they'll let Notre Dame get back into it rather than just, just keep pushing and, you know, step on their throat and you know what we've been talking about and what has been made what like doesn't want to make the comment this team can't blow out team like this team is not built to blow out anyone i feel like they can get ahead in that other game game but then they can just let them get back into it and ultimately it'll cost them because this offense it's just not good uh mm -hmm. all right i want to get your thoughts on the game what you watched and then maybe we can dive a little bit more into it because i mean there were some decisions in that game by the coaching staff that definitely were some eyebrow raisers uh obviously they get out of it with a win uh, like Kevin said, it was unconvincing, but, you know, it was a must win. Because, I mean, if you lose that game, it's not a good look for you at all. Uh, all right, I, I just want to get your um, quick thoughts. Yeah, no, I mean, to kind of go with the bright side of the game, um, 
I, I, I like to lead with the positive and go into more of the negative. Uh, defense looks good. Um, there really isn't anything to complain about for the defense. Uh, the quarterback wasn't able to uh, muster over 100 yards. Their run game was okay, but not, like, incredible. And the only score that the defense allowed was because of a pick that put them into a horrible scenario. Um, so I give props to the defense for that. Uh, I think that they did really well when they should have. Um, and then also, I, I think it was he's been a highlight for most of our games, but I think it's also fair to highlight uh, Tavion Robinson with another really solid game, putting up some good catches and good yardage for us, um, including one catch that I'll go to as a negative, um, not on him, but on the quarterback. <clears throat> and then another positive, which is a surprise and a very happy surprise, is Trey Turner. Trey Turner is someone that really hasn't, got the love that he really deserves um, over the first few weeks. And that's something we've talked about, kind of the fact that he hasn't really got as much of the ball as he probably should be. And that changed in this Richmond game. He and uh, Tavion actually had the same amount of catches, but Turner not only had more yards with almost 30 more yards, but also got a touchdown um, and caught a 42-yard ball. So Turner also having a really good game. So Props to the uh, props to the defense. Props to the receivers. They played really well. Um, and even on top of that, Blackshear and Holston also averaged over four yards a carry, which is pretty good because the run game, as you have mentioned, has not been great. And uh, the fact that they were able to put those types of averages up is a huge improvement. And hopefully, we can keep seeing that. Negative about this game. Um, obviously, there's things of play calling you can talk about, but there's really two negatives first of all as you mentioned the offense as a whole when you only score 14 points offensively against an fcs team when in the same week a high-ranked fcs team gets blown out by pittsburgh there's there's something wrong with your offense like i, I don't know how many points the pittsburgh put up offensively against them but they beat um whatever fcf uh, team they played like i believe they put up 77 yeah, I, I'm just saying, I don't know if that was all offense or if, the, like, the defense had, like, a pick uh, six yes, or two. Yeah, yeah. But let me, let me, let me pull that up for you, see if there's any pick total. sixes in there. Yeah, I don't know. But they, they, you know, they put up a lot of points, basically. Like, essentially, the, the point is, is that they scored a lot. We didn't score a lot against a lower-ranked FCS team. Richmond was ranked 24th going into the weekend. So. Their defense got a safety. So Pitt only yeah. put up 75 points. Yeah, because that's much better. It is. Know? It really is. <laughs> Ooh, they I also just... had to change out their kicker because their kicker missed two straight extra points. That's rough. Uh, that's, yeah, that's rough. But, um, and gosh, we've, that means that there's some really poor kicking play this weekend. But beyond that, um, I mean, it's just it, – it's very disappointing when you have a fairly weak team come in and you're only able to score two offensive touchdowns on them. Um, and then it gets worse when – you kind of look at this like situation and uh, as I was talking about, really one of the bigger negatives was some of the quarterback play uh, and it's two backs about it's two throws on back-to-back drives. The first one was the interception by Knox Kadem. I don't know where he was throwing that ball to, but it was not to Virginia tech. And the fact that that ball was put so far wide is crazy for someone that's able to make a power five school as a quarterback it was a horrible throw and 
it was it was just really bad to watch. And as I said, that kind of screwed the defense because the defense had, been, had played well for the rest of the day. That's the only way Richmond was able to score was when they were like 16 yards away from our end zone. Um, whereas right after that in that drive, what I actually didn't know is because I thought Knox Kadem threw this ball again, then Burmeister came in. No, it was Burmeister threw this ball. And he threw a horrible ball, almost like he just watched what Knox Kadem did. And he threw it towards Tavion. I think Tavion was Kadem's intended target when he threw the pick. And he almost overthrew Tavion for another pick inside of our defensive half. And it's like, what is going on with our quarterback play? Particularly when you go and look this weekend when, though Tennessee didn't win their game, Hendon Hooker had a strong performance. Like, what's going on? We, we have what's meant to be this quarterback whisperer and a guy who's meant to be great offensively. Like, it, it feels more like an excuse now with Fuente saying that this team can't blow out other teams because we have the talent. We have the receiver duo. I don't think Burmeister's a horrible quarterback or, or like that at all. I've been singing his praises most of the time on this podcast. But fact of the matter is, is when you have two horrible back-to-back quarterback throws and you have to rely on Knox Kadem who throws that bad of a pick when Burmeister goes down, like what happens if Burmeister goes down for a long period of time? Or, or do we really think that we can stick with Knox Kadem? And on top of that, why do we not have, you know, Quincy Patterson or Hendon Hooker, two guys that were on our team last year, who could be perfect to fill in at this spot? Or, you know, it, Hooker was our starter during my freshman year and or became our starter and then was the starter for a good bit of the sophomore year. Like, it, it's really infuriating when you have moments like this and when Kadem overall has been disappointing when he's played. And you look and it's like, we've, we, we've literally had better. We, we, Quincy was a five-star that we decided not to ever throw, like have throw the ball. And then I don't know like what type of star prospect Hooker was, but Hooker was a very competent quarterback and someone who could kind of keep you in games. He, he only had one dreadful game and that was what, I think against Wake Forest or something when he threw three picks. Because otherwise I think the year before he only threw like one. And I think the rest of his time at VT, he only threw like three picks. So like half his picks came in one game. So when, when you have moments like that, it really does beg the question, what's going on offensively. And this isn't even from a play calling standpoint. This is from a person, this is from a personnel and players who transferred out of the program standpoint. And when those questions are coming up, I, that very much concerns me. And obviously that was a question before this season, uh, you know, when they were transferring, but it's, it's just a very bad look for the program. And it makes me very nervous if Braxton goes down, uh, what's going to happen. And I'm already nervous enough with offensive play calling as a whole, given in particular the West Virginia, uh, the end of the West Virginia game, but also what's happened throughout every game this year. Yeah, uh, you raised legitimate concerns. Um, as far as talking about Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson, I mean, we don't need to focus on them autom- like automatically yeah. right now. They left the program. That's their choice. Uh, yeah. You know, there's no, like, hard evidence that they were forced out or anything. But I, I, I mean, it is something that we talked about. You know, Justin Fuente in his time here has not had the guy at quarterback. Uh, he's had starters that have, you know, been here, but then – you know, the next year they regress 
or they leave the, and they end up leaving the program. So, I mean, that's just something that has happened. That's been a theme so far. <laughs> and I mean, going back to your, to the intersection, the interception uh, with Knox Kadem, that was, it was a strange thing to me. Okay. So first drive, you know, Virginia Tech's moving the ball. Their offensive line is getting great push on their runs. Uh, and then it ends with that uh, Braxton Burmeister pass to Trey Turner in the end zone and a fantastic toe tap. That was just incredible. Got me off the, got me, got, got me out of my seat. And then you just look at the rest of the way uh, for tech punt, punt, turnover on downs. And then not so, okay. After that first drive, you're not moving the ball. So maybe a quarterback change is necessary. Maybe that's what the, maybe that's what the thought process was, but then he throws the pick. So whatever, but then going into the post game, what confused me was that Justin Fuente said that Knox Kanan was going to play in the first half. He had talked to Braxton and he talked to Knox and said, Hey, you guys, you know, Knox Kanan is going to come and he's going to play eventually. Putting him in, in that spot when they're that far backed up confused me a little bit because uh, it was still a close game. And I think that thought process that Justin Fuente had was that they're probably going to be blowing him out in the first half. They might be up by a couple touchdowns and we'll be able to get our starters off the field. We'll be able to get Braxton out. We'll be able to give Knox some reps. And it just didn't work out that way. And they could not get that big lead. And he goes, he throws the interception and then, you know, defense does what they do. And then Tavion Robinson scores the touchdown that, ends up having it be a one touchdown game at the half. If he doesn't score that, I don't think that this team scores again. And I think that it's a tie game going into halftime. And then you look at, but then again, here's the thing. Coming out of the second, coming into the second half, they had that 10 play 78 yard drive to start. So when it comes to the scripts that they run, they are really good at starting a game and coming out of a half, it seems like. But they just can't put a complete game plan together to where, it's just consistent offense throughout the entire game. And it gets you the results where you're only scoring two touchdowns in a game against an FCS school. And look, you can say Richmond has a great defense for FCS standards all you want. But man, it's really weird that you can see these results in year six of a coaching staff and just utterly dismiss it or something like that to to that extent where it's just like this offense is not good at all. And it really hurts my perception of this team and this team ceiling. And I mean, we're not doing the power rank today, but I dropped them down a lot following this game. And I know it doesn't hurt their chances in the ACC at all, but it just, it's not rewriting the priors, the priors in my head right now, like all those prior thoughts right now of this offense struggling and they're not going to be able to win games because of this offense, it's hurting them right now. And it's hurting their chances. If it's going to hurt their chances, because it's going to continue. I don't see that this, I I can't see this team really making a full season turnaround coming out of the bye week because they have the huge test against Notre Dame who just absolutely smothered Wisconsin. And Wisconsin has a lot of quarterback troubles of their own too. Graham Mertz is not good, but overall, I just can't see this offense find, finding a way to work it out and getting to a point this season where I can comfortably say that this team can win this division and make that happen because you got to score points, man. It's we're looking at Clemson. We're talking about, Oh, they're so bad, but their defense is still really good. Virginia Tech's in the same boat, but they don't have the proven track record that Clemson has, at least with Clemson, you can fake hope to some weird extent where you can say, Hey, Dabo has been there before. He, he's a, he, he can do a mid-season turnaround. And I can believe you. They haven't had to do it in a while. 
but I can at least somewhat believe you there. I can't do the same thing here. I just can't. Uh, look, the defense was great. The defense, the defense gave up a field goal. I, they were put in a terrible spot. They were put in a goal-to-go situation. You're asking them to do a goal, basically a goal line stand, uh, coming right off the bench. That's tough. That's a tough environment to put them in. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I can really put that touchdown on them. Um, I mean, you just you can't. Yeah. No. I. You give up a field goal coming out of half. I. I mean. I mean, I can't. I, I can't. I can't. I obviously can't get mad at the defense. The defense played great, and the defense, defense is going to do their thing against Notre Dame. The defense is going to keep. The defense is going to be the reason that they that that game stays remotely close. Because I mean, let's be real. Notre Dame's no, offense it, is not that great. Yeah. Don't look at the final and, score of the Wisconsin game and think that was all the, on Notre Dame's offense. It wasn't. Uh, so I'm not scared about the Notre Dame game at all still. No, and, and that's why I completely agreed with you on what you said with uh, Notre Dame. Like, it, it feels like this team and this coaching staff needs, like, time to game plan for their opponents. And they're like, all right, we can go and get these two touchdowns, and then what do we do? Like, I need I, to see more. You know what? Or I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to do this right now because I've been thinking about this already for all day today. We probably we probably were going to originally say this for like Friday or talking with Wyatt next Wednesday. No, Wyatt, uh, Wyatt, uh, Carter Hill. We're probably yeah. not going to talk with Carter this week. It's the bye week. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably get him on next week uh, before the Notre Dame. We can talk about the bye. We can talk about Richmond. We can do all that. So we, we're probably going to save this discussion for later. But here's how I think the Notre Dame game is going to go down. I honestly think Virginia Tech can jump out to a 10 nothing start. And I think after that, they just can't move the ball at all. And they let Notre Dame come back into the game and their offense just nickel and dime, nickel and dime. They can get up to like a 21-13 lead and then the offense is going to try to force the ball down the field and then that generates a turnover and, you know, Notre Dame gets up by multiple scores and, you know, Virginia Tech can score a garbage time touchdown. But that's just kind of where... I, I, I really think that's the ceiling of this team. I don't think that this team can hold the lead because, look, they have the defense to hold leads. But the, it, it's almost too much to ask. It's definitely too much to ask a team, a defense, to hold, say, a 10-point lead for four quarters. If you have a 10-point lead you know, early in the game, like within the first eight minutes of the game, you, in your first two drives, you scored both times, and you're asking your defense, okay, they're going to get the ball at least another 10 times. They can't score any points. That's way too difficult. And that defense is really, really good. And holding a Notre Dame offense to 21 points, I honestly think, should give you a chance to win the game. But I honestly don't think it is. Uh, I, I don't yes. think it does because this offense hasn't shown me that they can consistently just keep scoring. Like they can't put together a one drive, two drive, three drive in the middle part of the game. They can do it at the start. They can do it coming out of halftime, but it's those four drives, you know, after those first uh, out of the locker room, after those first, uh, after the game kicks off, it's those four drives through the second quarter, through the middle of the third to the end of the fourth, where you have to generate the points there. And they just haven't been able to do it. And this running game needs to get fixed. Something has to happen. This, I mean, this offensive line, they've been talking about the struggles all, all the time. I, this running game is just not efficient at all. And I, I think a lot of its problems were definitely uh, – a, a lot of problems definitely arise when you lose an NFL running back and three really, really yeah. good offensive linemen. But I don't know. It's just – I think that they're going to come out of the bye week with a plan for Notre Dame. And I think that once the script is gone, you're going to be going on the fly. And I just think that it's going to be a lot more of the same. And you just can't win football games that way. I, I think that there are going to be a lot of there, – there will be some games. I do think that there can be some games this year, particularly in the ACC, 
because this conference is terrible, where you can get out to an early lead because you have a good script to start the game, and then you can just tell your defense, hey, hold them, and we'll get a field goal here and there, and, you know, that'll be it. We can walk out of there with a W, and we'll be happy. But being, being serious, that's not, that's not good enough if you want to be serious. It's just not. Um, here's here's yeah. what I see going into that game. I feel like with a week, hopefully our offensive lines can be able to heal up a little bit. I know that there's – They do need that. They do, been, they do need some health. There, that, there's not only been struggles, but it's also been the fact that I think a couple have been banged up. I think John Z's been banged up a bit as well. Right. So, so I think the O-line healing up is going to help. Now, I completely agree. I would be surprised if we don't get out to an early lead because kind of like with the North Carolina game, that's what we did. We had time to script for it. Our offense had the script that they needed, and they went. Now, where I'm positive on this game is the fact that Notre Dame has, other than against Wisconsin, has had competitive games with Purdue, Toledo, and FSU, all not great teams. You know, so, I, don't, I don't think Notre Dame's good. I, st- I still I don't. I still think they're a fraud. Yeah, I, I have a lot more optimism offensively than I should. Be, particularly because when you look at Notre Dame as well, Cone wasn't great. The reason that they blew out Wisconsin at home was because Mertz sucked. He had yeah, four they had three defensive special team touchdowns in the fourth exactly. quarter. And that's what yeah, that's yeah. what won they them had, the game. Two, if, two take those away, take those away, Notre Dame wins by like seven. And that's not that. And like, yeah, okay, they still beat Wisconsin. No, they, even they, though Wisconsin you're right. Not they good. win exactly by seven points. Right. Yeah. And that's so. And, and the, the thing about Burmeister is, though, there's been a lot more things to notice recently with the struggling. He's not a turnover machine. He hasn't yeah, been a turnover yeah. machine with his time at Tech, which was the kind of the same thing that we could say with Hooker. So I do think that that's actually a positive. It's the fact that Burmeister's not a turnover machine. Now, where I am concerned is. You know, if we get out to that two-drive lead, as we've kind of come to know with this team, it's just asking for the defense to hold. I feel like we should. I feel like we should beat Notre Dame. What I am concerned with, and I think we'll talk about this when it comes to ACC, is Pittsburgh. Because I Mm. think Pittsburgh coming in, I think they will thrash us. Mm. I think they're going to absolutely torch us because their offense is moving. Their defense has been able to do well against us. Like last year, they torched us in Pittsburgh uh, 2020. And I don't think with a, a time to build a game plan for that type of team that we're going to be able to beat them. And at this rate, if if it's really going to show as game plan is an issue, I wouldn't even be surprised if Syracuse could as well. And that's a game that you should never be losing. Yeah. And, you know, we'll talk more about the ACC with the ACC power rank uh, coming up later this week. But I, I mean, I will say this. Pitch defense is not good, but this offense is not that good either. And no, and look, North Carolina's defense is atrocious. Like we've like we can say that now. Like we know that North Carolina's defense is not good, and this team cannot move the ball on them after those first three drives. So, no, I think you raise legitimate concerns. You know, high-powered offenses can come in, and as long as they can consistently, you know, take what's theirs against this defense, and they can score a couple of touchdowns, you know, this offense is going to have to match that. And so far through four games this season, I don't believe that they can. Um, also just like a quick note, Richmond had their backup quarterback. So I don't know how much better their starter is. I'm not going to say that he would have been a world beater. I'm not going to say that Richmond would have won the game. Uh, but they had their backup quarterback in. It wasn't like they really had a chance to begin with. And again, I don't, I don't think the defense would have played any worse. I don't think the defense would have given up any more than they had because they weren't moving the ball with the first guy anyways, but yeah, just 
way too close for comfort. Way, way, way too close for comfort. And that Tavion Robinson touchdown really, really saves you a lot because look, you can look at this game as a double digit win at home uh, over a in-state rival or whatever. You know, look, look at the offense. 14 to 10 is the score on the offensive side of the ball. And does that really give you confidence? Because I, I don't think it does. All right. Um, how about from there, we can move on now. I have a couple points, but I think that we can really fit these into your questions. So how about we just yeah. go over to you with the questions and then we can get today's episode done with and move on to the NFL. Yeah. Um, I mean, to start with, uh, this has been something that uh, was kind of raised over the weekend and I do kind of want to get your take on this. Um, so there's been, we, 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 it feels like we talk about weekly now that OU has been struggling and they really haven't had great wins. Um, now what happened this past weekend, which was very crazy to me, this kind of came out of nowhere is the fact that the fans kind of chanted for Spencer Rattler to get replaced by backup Caleb Williams. Um, so the question I wanted to raise to you is, do you think the fans are in the right to call for Caleb Williams? And is Spencer Rattler really the one to blame for OU's poor form? Well, I don't think the problems are solely on Spencer Rattler. Don't get me wrong. He has not played well at all. Uh, here, let me, let me just pull up the stats because I'm fairly certain on this. But I'm pretty sure he has, in one game, and it was a game against West Carolina, he, had, he threw five touchdown passes. The other three games, Tulane, Nebraska, West Virginia, he has three touchdown passes and three picks. That's not good enough. He's not playing at the high level that we all expected him to. And look, he still has a, you know, really high completion percentage, a really high quarterback rating, but he's not showing up in the games that they need him to. And I'm not saying it's not a, I mean, it's not that hard of a schedule really for Oklahoma. Here's the thing. Oklahoma, their defense has always been the problem. And we've talked about it, you know, when we were talking about them going into the SEC, we asked, hey, Texas, Oklahoma, are they going to have problems? Because Big 12 doesn't play defense and, you know, that's a problem. Look, this Kansas State game, I honestly can see them losing because they had the home yeah. advantage against West Virginia. I think Kansas State coming off a loss. Uh, you know, Even Jesus though Kansas State, out. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, no, this I, Oklahoma, I, I, team, I, this I, Oklahoma I, team is not special. This Oklahoma yep. team is not an offensive juggernaut like we're used to seeing. Uh, Spencer Rattler is not efficiently throwing the ball and this defense, I, I mean, I can't say that they're doing anything great. I mean, I, I don't know if West Virginia is this great offensive team. I know we saw them, you know, give Virginia tech a couple of gash plays, but outside of that, they were able to relatively hold them well. Uh, so I can't say that their defense keeps them in the game. This Oklahoma team has a lot of problems. And, you know, usually I am in the mindset that, all the blame can go to the head coach. So Lincoln Riley has to figure something out. I think he's a smart guy. Uh, I think he's a really smart offensive mind, but his offense isn't working. And when you're an offensive mind and your offense really isn't working, you got some stuff to figure out because an Oklahoma team that holds another big 12 team to 13 points, you're expecting them to be on the other side of that scoring more than 40. And that just didn't happen uh, against West Virginia. So they're going into big 12 play now. And look, the big 12, big 12 isn't that great. I think uh, Oklahoma state, Baylor, even Iowa state, you know, their last three games of the season are those. I don't even know about Texas, but yeah, I'm, I'm not expecting Oklahoma to do anything great. They've fallen in the rank the rankings again, just because of their lack of quality play. And they'll need to turn it around at some point. I, I can't say that it's all on Spencer Rattler. He needs to play better. I, I can't say that I would replace him right now. So from the fans perspective, no, I, I, I don't like when fans turn on their quarterback like that, but yeah, yeah. 
I mean, he's not playing well. So yeah, he definitely deserves some criticism and some attention towards how he's playing. I'm not ready to replace him though. I don't think that his backup gives them a better chance at winning or putting up better offensive stats though. No, I actually, I, I completely agree. Um, I don't think West Virginia's offense is really that special. As you said, they had a couple gash plays on Virginia Tech, and otherwise the defense was still able to kind of hold them. Uh, they're often struggled against like West Virginia or against Maryland. Um, so I don't think it's a more special offense. Um, I do agree. I don't think this is real on Rattler. I think this is very much a head coach situation in an offensive moving situation. Uh, the run game hasn't been explosive, but I don't remember the last time that OU's run game was genuinely like explosive, explosive. Um, like it's been fine, but it hasn't been anything special. Um, and that's kind of the same thing to go with Rattler. Um, so when it comes down to it, I kind of think it's play calling because Rattler's doing well completion wise. He had 74% of completion. Um, as you said, most of his touchdowns came in that like West Carolina game, but still like eight touchdowns, three interceptions isn't horrible though. I think that'd be three touchdowns, three interceptions in the other three games. Um, I do completely agree. I was even going to bring up the point that even though Kansas State lost this weekend, I'm surprised to say that I still think that they have a shot to beat OU this coming week. Um, yeah, I just think that there's there's got to be a problem with some sort of with something on the offensive play calling side, and defensively there's a problem as well as they've been able to let Tulane, Nebraska, and West Virginia all stay in the game, and I don't think any of those off offenses are really anything special uh particularly not in nebraska when you see them lose to illinois so i think that there's a lot of concern for ou i don't think that there's much dominance in the big 12 and that's something we'll talk about but i don't think this is really to blame on rattler um i think if rattler was on like an like a, if rattler was on a different team i feel like he could still be just as if not more productive I think that it's got to be something that Lincoln Riley's got to figure out. I do completely agree. Um, the next question, actually kind of leading off with that as well. Um, so during week one, uh, we talked about that this might, or, or I talked about, uh, I brought up the question, is this a, a possible year um, that the non, that non-power five team will be able to break into the college football playoffs? And you said that you didn't think it was the year. And I remember I said that I actually think that this is the best chance that it's been. And I think that Cincinnati can do it. Um, so I want to revisit and I want to see if you still feel like Cincinnati won't do it or if you think they will make it. And on top of Cincinnati, I also do want to talk about, this is kind of my main concern of the question, as the Big 12 and ACC has really been struggling, do you really think that either of those conferences are going to get a team in college football playoffs? Let me start with the ACC. No. Uh, moving on to the Big 12. No. Uh, Oklahoma does not look good. They do not look impressive. And, you know, they can win all the games they want. They can win the Big 12. I think the eye test is a big thing with these committee people. I think that they value impressive wins. And Oklahoma doesn't have those. It's why they continually drop in the AP. So I think that we're going to see a similar uh, reaction with college football playoff committee when they do their first rankings. So I don't think Oklahoma does it. And again, I think Oklahoma drops a couple stinkers here and there. I think that they can lose to a team like Baylor, or a team like Kansas state. I think they can lose to Texas. Why not? Uh, I mean, I, I, don't oh, agree with Texas. I mean, sure. I don't know, but Oklahoma is not good enough to make college football playoff in my opinion. Now here's the problem with Cincinnati with Cincinnati. You know, I laid out a groundwork 
for how they can do it. My problem was I just didn't think it could happen. Now the wool is kind of being pulled from my eyes. And now I'm seeing, okay, the Big 12 is having problems. The ACC is having problems, okay? You need two, you know, two of the power five are gone. So that's what Cincinnati needs. Here comes the problem. Alabama, Georgia are almost virtual locks. I mean, come on. What are they going to – Georgia's biggest opponent uh, the rest of the way is Florida uh, in the greatest cocktail party in the universe or whatever they call it. I mean, they do play Arkansas uh, this weekend, but they're at home. You know, Arkansas is coming off a big emotional win. I can't – as much as I love this Arkansas story, I can't pick them to win that game. So I have to go with Georgia there. And outside of that, yeah, they've got Florida. And that, then the rest of the way, it's just cake. That's just how the SEC East has been for Georgia these last couple of years. Um, Alabama. Look, man, I was, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, can Alabama lose a game this year before they meet Georgia in the SEC championship, inevitably? And I went back through their history because they've, you know, they've, they've had a couple losses. But when I'm thinking about their home losses, because this is the thing, Alabama's remaining schedule, they only have two difficult games on their schedule still. And it's uh, all this. It's Ole Miss and it's Arkansas. I don't believe in Texas A&M and I don't think that Auburn's anything special. I think Alabama can easily boat race them uh, on the road in the Iron Bowl. But they have two home opponents in Ole Miss and Arkansas who are, you know, highly ranked, could both be top 10 teams. I mean, Ole Miss this week isn't their top 12. But I went back through Nick Saban's history and excluding his first year where he's, you know, it was a rebuild year, basically his second year onward when he turned Alabama into a factory. Alabama has lost five home games over a more than 10 year period, five. Wow. And every single one of those losses has some repercussions on the national championship that year. First year, 2010, that he, the first home loss that Nick Saban had, uh, Auburn, Auburn won the national championship that year. Next time was LSU. They won, it was the six, nine game. Alabama would go on to beat LSU in that national championship that year. Uh, another one was the Johnny football, you know, Johnny Manziel's Heisman performance where Texas A&M went there and beat them. Alabama won the national championship that year. Uh, the other one was uh, just some random old miss win in 2015. Oh, by the way, Alabama won the national championship that year. And then it was the 2019 LSU team who was the best team of my life. You know, Joe Burrow walking in there and put up the yeah. best game I've ever watched and LSU wins the national championship. And I can't say that Alabama is going to lose to Ole Miss or Arkansas, but even if they do, Alabama is still winning the national championship. If that's the case, it's basically what I'm saying. So Alabama and Georgia are locks for me. Oregon can't slip up in the Pac-12, and they're in. That I think Oregon is proving enough. And once they get Kayvon Thibodeau back, and that defense, you know, improves hopefully with him, you know, what what do they have to fear? The problem with Cincinnati comes with Penn State, and with the big with the Big Ten. You know, if Ohio State gets back, which I don't know if they can, Penn State I think is the leader in the house for the Big for the Big Ten right now. Obviously, you got Michigan, Michigan State. They're nice stories, but whatever. They'll come back down to earth, I think. I think Michigan and Michigan State will be in that 20 to 25 range by the end of the season. I don't think they're both top 15 teams like the rankings might indicate that they are. Uh, and Iowa, man, I'm getting out on Iowa. Their offense is not good at all. And I just can't buy them. You know, that Penn State-Iowa game in a couple of weeks is coming up. So we'll see how they do there. That defense is still a thing, but that they can't move the ball and they can't score. So I can't, I kind of be out on Iowa a little bit. So they're going to need someone to slip up and I can't see Alabama. I can't see Georgia doing it. They're going to need Oregon or Penn state to do it. And then obviously they can't slip up themselves. So I'm buying more into Cincinnati and, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to, you know, mention like a BYU in there uh, as a non Notre Dame independent. Uh, they've got, they've got a nice schedule. They've got a, uh, let me, let me see. I pulled them up. They've got, they've got a uh, Baylor. They've got UVA still on the schedule. They've got some teams. They've got USC at the end of the season. So I think Cincinnati's chances have increased drastically. 
am I ready to say it happens? Not just yet. I think I just need a little bit more time. Me, you know what? Give me two more weeks. Give me two more weeks and I'll see what I can say. But you, I mean, you got to give me the Notre Dame game this weekend because that is a, that's just a juggernaut. Oh, for sure. I mean, th- that's the biggest game left. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I do think, and I kind of, I, I would be willing to double down my point. Uh, I do think that this is the best chance for a non-Power 5 team to make it with how much struggling there's been. Um, and I kind of do agree with you. I, I would be surprised at this rate if a Big Ten team doesn't make it in because I feel like there are there is good enough competition. Uh, I don't know if Ohio State can bounce back, but I definitely still like Iowa. Um, and I don't know how much I like Penn State. I think they're decent. But, I mean, if you go and look at, like, the games that they've played against actual good teams, it's been close both times, barely able to win. So I think Penn State needs to win out in the Big Ten to make it. I think that they would need to – if the Big Ten East doesn't just clobber each other, you know, Michigan State, yeah. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, they don't just beat up on one another and they all walk, and they all just walk out with, like, a loss or two. I think that's the problem for the Big Ten. Like, Penn State would need to go undefeated, I think. I think that's where we are right now. Yeah, I think Oregon has a couple games in the Pac-12 that slightly concern me, but I think that they should be fine without any, like, Pac-12 slip-up. Like, I mean, because it's possible. I mean, Pac-12 teams will slip up against one another. Like, kind of like, you know, Power 5 conferences will slip up against one another. I think if Oregon doesn't have that slip-up, and they really shouldn't, they should be fine. Um, I, I think it's really, at this point, though, my main concern is, is basically I feel like Bama is a lock because it's Bama. I feel Oregon's virtually a lock. Um, I'd be surprised if they lose a game. If they do lose a game, though, I would be surprised if they made it in. Um, yeah. And I feel like at least one of the Big Ten teams are locked. I would still favor Iowa over Penn State, but that's my opinion there. Sure. So what I think it really comes down to is, is Florida as legitimate as, of a threat as we saw against Alabama? And can they pull a game away from Georgia and possibly, you know, get Georgia out of the picture? Because if they can somehow get Georgia out of the picture, like that, that's going to be a huge test. Right. If, if Florida's if Florida's able to do that, then there is a wide open gaping hole for Cincinnati to be able to plug itself in. Right. And if that doesn't happen, then there's a lot less opportunity because then, as you said, I think it's pretty much chalk for Georgia. And then it'll most likely be an Alabama-Georgia uh, SEC championship game where you'd have Alabama winning. So Georgia has to lose somewhere along the line for this. Can I say this? Can I say this? I think yeah. Georgia has a shot this year. I really do. I think I Georgia has a shot to win the net, to win the national championship this year. Yeah, I, um, I think Georgia is a solid defense and a solid offense. I don't think that there's going to be really much stopping them. So I don't think that the Florida game is really anything to buy in on. So I'm a lot more concerned with Cincinnati than I was originally. However, I still think that there's a chance. I mean, here's, here's where they were at the start of the season. At the start of the season, they were seven teams behind. Now they're only like four teams behind. Or, you know, they're like, there are four teams locked in there now. Meanwhile, they were behind those four plus another three. Now I think Cincinnati is in that fifth slot. You know, you can talk about the rankings, they've been being seven. But realistically, you're going to get one Big Ten team. You're going to get probably two SEC teams. And you're going to look at a Pac-12 team. The ACC and the Big 12 are out. So Cincinnati is wedging its way in there. I think that they have a firm hold over Notre Dame, especially if they win the game. I mean, a head-to-head matchup with Notre Dame would easily put them over an undefeated uh, Notre Dame team with a loss because, you know, they beat them. Uh, They would need to obviously be undefeated and, you know, be convincing in conference play. (sighs) I want it to happen. I really do. 
but they they have one slip up they're done because you can't have a loss as a group of five team it's just been proven it it can't happen um as for the closest is this the best situation where they could be i think so i think there were a couple years ago where that houston team uh yeah led by tom herman they had a good shot that was a fun team to watch but then they just lost three games down the stretch and they kind of just floundered out and then Herman went to Texas and the Houston program is in a bit of shambles right now. But Cincinnati is in that same boat where they're in the driver's seat. You know, they've done what they had to do over the last couple of seasons. They've been a consistent winner in their conference. They just have to put it all together this year. And they, they have a window because college football is kind of a mess right now, but you know, they, they have their shot. I mean, I'll even say this for Georgia as well as I look at their schedule, not only do you have the Florida weekends that kind of concern is concerning. Cause as I said, I think Florida's a good team. But even building up to that, they do have a week five before Florida, but they have Arkansas on their hot streak. And on top of that, they've had following that Auburn, and Auburn has been fairly good, almost being able to beat Penn State at the white uh, at the white effect or whiteout or whatever it was. So I don't know. I think that there's some chances for Georgia to lose in there. Um, I, I think that there is chances – they just really need to slip up. And then obviously this is the big weekend for Cincinnati because if they're able to beat Notre Dame, it's pretty smooth sailing from there. I don't think they'll, they'll really choke up in their division. And I definitely don't think they're, they're going to choke up. Um, I, I, I think they have like another game on their schedule that they can really kind of point to as a decent one, which is Tulane. Not because Tulane's great, but they've been able to perform against like OU and they're able to put up points on Ole Miss. So I don't know. I, I could see this being the year. It's going to be really interesting to see um, where things move, though. And obviously, this weekend will be huge for college football ramifications for the rest of the season. Definitely. Uh, moving it, uh, actually even past that, this weekend was also huge for college football ramifications. Um, there was a lot of upsets. You had the Clemson upset. You had um, not an upset, but Notre Dame thrashing Wisconsin. You had the Arkansas upset uh, in at the Dallas Stadium. You've got the, uh, I mean, it's not really a big upset, but it's the Oklahoma State beating Kansas State. You have Georgia Tech uh, almost thrashing UNC in a sense. Um, you had Duke beating Kansas, huge upset. Um, now, my question for you is, is which upset was the worst? Well, the easy answer has to be Clemson, right? Uh just because now they've kind of been exposed. There was that lingering hopes that they can get the offense fixed. And look, there's still plenty of time in the season to maybe do that. But the book's out. And, you know, DJ's not playing well at all. Uh, that run game is not great. They just can't, they just, they just can't get it done. And I'm just seeing them fail on a lot of third downs that I would, first of all, not expect Clemson to be in that situation. So I'm going to go with Clemson, you know, Pointing to the other games that you mentioned, you know, outside of, you know, Clemson, the top 25 had a pretty good week. Uh, it was more the back half of the top 25 that really yeah, had it done to them. You know, Iowa and Oklahoma struggled in their games. But outside of that, I mean, you had a top 16 matchup, Arkansas, Texas, which was a really fun game to watch. Uh, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, of course. Uh, Iowa State, I could say, is up there as well. But, I mean, Brees Hall had a really good game. They just weren't able to get it done. Uh, Baylor just had a really good game against them. So, sure, yeah. yeah. North Carolina, I mean, that's man, I, know. I, don't, I don't know what to think about North Carolina at this point in the season. So I'm going to go with Clemson just because I feel like the book's out on them now this year. You know, Kansas State, they dip their toe in the water when it comes to being ranked, but 
it just it just wasn't meant to be that week. So they can maybe find their way back. You know, a good upset win over Oklahoma this year would uh, help them in that case. But no, I think the answer I think the answer here has to be Clemson. And Kleiman will still be looking for his first win against Oklahoma State next season, which is kind of disappointing. But um, I do agree that Clemson was a huge one, but I do want to point out this. Um, first of all, just looking at the attendances, which is crazy. I mean, NC State has 98% attendance. Huge game. Awesome. But the game I'm actually going to point out, which might be a little bit surprising, is I think the UNC loss was way worse. Uh, first of all, Georgia Tech didn't really have a home advantage. They filled up 50% of their stadium. That's pretty bad, particularly when you have a top 25 opponent coming. Um, you know, whether that's like, you know, either, you know, you didn't have many away fans or you just didn't also have like that many home fans. That's kind of embarrassing to put up half the stadium capacity for a game like this. Um, so you didn't really have that home crowd advantage behind them. But then on top of that, Georgia Tech went in, uh, went on a 27-point run after Sam Howell's first touchdown and just kind of cruised through the game. Um, Howell really not doing great, like just about, I think, 60% completion. And it's not like their quarterback was great. Josh Sims, or, or actually it might be Jalen Sims here. I just want to make sure I'm right on his name. Uh, it's Jeff Sims. There you go. Two strikes. I won't get the third. Um, Jeff Sims, I mean, it's not like he did much. He was 10 of 13 uh, with – uh, throwing one touchdown and otherwise he rushed for three and then I think you had the other running back behind him rush for one so it's not like Georgia Tech put on like a flashy passing display like uh, Brennan uh, Armstrong did against them the week prior and what Armstrong's had done throughout the year for UVA it's just the fact that they kind of got torched with run um and they they also got this is not like they had anything in the past so when you compare that to the Clemson versus NC State game, like NC State was actually able to move the ball in the air really well. Leary uh, was someone who I was talking about when I thought that there was a possibility that this could have happened, um, but I just wasn't willing to commit to it. Like Leary has been solid all season. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC. Uh, a person was able to run the ball well for NC State. So, I mean – there's still like the whole issue that the fact that Clemson can't score more than like two offensive touchdowns in a game, um, unless it's, you know, like an FCS school, like an SC state, like that's obviously a concern, but the fact of the matter is, is they were still able to put up a good performance against the team that has only lost one other game, which was to an FBS school in Mississippi state. Whereas when you look at the Georgia tech game, you know, they didn't even really have a big home crowd advantage. And this is a team that lost in Northern Illinois in week one. So I think the UNC loss is way worse, particularly when they're coming off of thrashing UVA um, at home. It's a really bad look for this team, um, particularly a team that you thought had a Heisman contender on it. Um, it's just, it's really disappointing. And it just shows that Howell and Downs are really going to have to do their best in every single game for that team to hold on because they're all their defense certainly isn't going to do enough here. Yeah, and they definitely took a big hit in my power rank, which we'll get into later this week. So, yeah, I, I can see what you're saying with that being the worst of the two losses. Yeah, and, and to even move more into the one that you highlighted, man, what, what's going on with Clemson? The fact that they're able to only score two offensive touchdowns in throughout regular time and then they scored the one in the first overtime 
just what's going on with this team. Why is Dabo not able to get the best out of these all-star products? I don't know, but here, here, here's what I'll say. It's kind of similar to what Tech's going through. And look, yeah. I think we kind of were a little distracted with we, – we've been distracted and spoiled so much over the last decade with Bama, right? Bama's in the national conversation every year. Clemson has been there for about half of that. Like, Clemson hasn't really been – or like, Clemson hasn't been – it hasn't always been Clemson. Florida State had their run with Jameis Winston, you know, at the start of the 2010s, and then Clemson kind of came in midway through, uh, starting in 2015. So it's not like they've been on this long run of success. They went from Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence, two of the high – like, two highly rated quarterbacks. And DJ is a high, highly rated quarterback as well. And he's shown his talent. We saw what he could do in the Notre Dame game last year. Uh, but this year, it's just he hasn't been able to put it together. So I think this is just a lapse in their season. Now, they go out, they get another quarterback, they get someone from the transfer portal, and they compete with DJ, and DJ loses his job next year. Then maybe we see Clemson take a step forward, and DJ is really the problem. This running game is also not that good. Uh, Travis Etienne is not here, and it, it shows. I mean, their leading guy that it's not named DJ Uaglele. Uh, 11 rushes for 36 yards, not good. Not good at all. And that receiving room outside of Justin Ross, it doesn't have any big name players. It really doesn't. So, you know, when you look at that, look, this defense is special. This defense is really, really good, national level. But they can't. They just haven't been able to pair the offense with it. This is one of the worst offenses in the country. And that's not something you want to hear from Clemson. So, I mean, that's kind of where it is. It's just on the offensive side of the ball. Uh their OC, Tony Elliott, uh, I think that he is still a high-level OC, but there's also the point where it's like, okay, how much of it is the coach? How much is it, of it is the talent imbalance by the players on the field? And, you know, Clemson's been able to compete at that high level with the Ohio States, with the Alabamas, and win those games, win national championships. I really do think, though, that when you look back on it, I think we're going to remember Clemson's run because of their defenses too. Those defenses have been really, really good with yep. a lot of talent. I mean, we talk about Clemson's defensive line a couple of years ago that had four first round picks on it. I mean, that's ridiculous. No one else has that. So there's still a really nationally good defense. The personnel is there, you know, the coaching's there, all of that, all of that is there. It's just the offense that is taking a nosedive this season from years past that we've been used to at Clemson, uh, you know, over these past, you know, eight years. But, you know, they'll be back. I think they'll be back. It's just that this year's kind of a learning lesson for them. And here's the thing, too. I think Clemson is going to show you what a real program looks like this offseason. Do I think Tony Elliott, Tony Elliott gets fired? No, I don't. But I think that they really do make personnel changes. I think that they do attack the transfer portal. I think that they do, you know, make adjustments on their staff, whether or not that's the OC or it's just some positional coaches. They're going to make some major shape up. Uh, they're going to shake things up this offseason because they'll need to, because you can't have an offense this bad and have the goal to be to win national championships. And they're going to do what they have to do. And they're going to show you how a real program operates. And they're not going to have any loyalty to anyone. They're going to do what Brian Kelly did when they had that four and eight year in 2016 at Notre Dame. He's going to fire all of all his offensive guys. It's going to come back and they're going to win 10 games a year again. And look, that's just how real programs operate. There's no loyalty. There's no buddy, buddy. There's no like friendships. It's just, you want results. And if you take a nosedive, man, at a place like Clemson, Dabo Swinney has two, three more years of this. He's on hot seat. And that's not something you expect to hear. But 
I think they'll take it seriously and I'll think that he'll make the changes necessary. So this year I think is just a fluke in their overall success. Uh, do I still think they have a chance to win the Atlantic? Sure. There's still a long way to go, but they're behind now. But I mean, this offense is obviously the problem and it just comes down to their quarterback that they expected to play really, really well. Isn't playing really, really well. And their running game is not good. And the receiving is not good. So everywhere on the offense has problems and you can't win games. You can't score points. That's basically what it comes down to. So yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do agree as well. Um, I think when you're looking at the type of situation that OU and Virginia Tech are going through, I think Clemson is in a very similar spot. Um, it's just a lot of issues with the office of play calling. I, I could also see it though. The fact that they've lost, like, you know, they had the best quarterback. Uh, it's not saying that DJ Uagalele uh, isn't the best quarterback prospect of his class, but they had a the clear-cut, I think, best in Deshaun Watson. They had the clear-cut best last year for most people for years and years with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they've had, like, top receiver products and whatnot. And that offensive talent, like, it's still there, but it's not as much as, like, as what it was. I know their offensive line has been struggling a lot. I know that that's been a big issue for them. Um, but certainly it's just overall this transition into this new offense I don't think has worked as well. Uh, I do agree with you. I think that this is something where whether they come back this year and still win the uh, Atlantic or not, I don't know. However, I do think that this is something where when you look at next season, they're going to be able to make these big changes and they're going to be able to um, come back and look strong the following season. Whether that means they would win the ACC or not next season, who knows. But I do think that they'll be able to rebound. And I do think that they... Clemson is a program that is willing to make big changes um, when it's needed. And I think that Swinney also knows that particularly with how like quickly things can change in the ACC and like, like, like power wise and with how strong Clemson overall is that he's on a short leash to perform. And I think he actually even has a shorter leash than you may think. I think He'd only have like two years of this before he'd get fired. So I think that he knows that he need to be right back in it and competing next season. And I think that he and the rest of the upper staff are willing to make the changes needed for that to happen. Otherwise, yeah, it's just been offensive line. And I think it's been the transition into a, a new starting running back and new starting quarterback and a lot of new other prospects. And it just hasn't gelled quite right. Um. Next up, though, is a question going over more towards the Big 12. And I want to talk about Baylor. Baylor, uh, one of the upsets of this past week, being able to put up a strong performance against Iowa State and win the game. Uh, do you think that Baylor is going through another quick rise in the Big 12 power like they were with Matt Rule? Or is this just a really great start for this program? And may maybe they'll fall off down the line, but, you know, it's something where they can look forward to. Here's the thing. For me, Matt Rule was – the perfect poster child for how to quickly turn around program. Baylor was in shambles when he took over. Uh, controversy, you know, bowl bans, all of that. He comes over from Temple, which he had already taken over, which is a pretty bad program. And in three years, took it, turned it into a 10-win team, you know, uh, an American conference contender, did it again in year four, comes over to Baylor, one and 11, next year, six and six. Next year, you know, 11-win season, New Year's Six Bowl, you know, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Oklahoma and should have beat them both times. So Baylor is a place where you can get that done. I think that they have resources. They're obviously not as big in Texas as other schools, but you can get it done. And any, look, any coach anywhere 
can do it. You're not going to automatically win everywhere. Like look at Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker took over a program from Mark D'Antonio that was in not good, in not a good shape at all. And I know this is an easy comparison for me to make because I pay attention to them more, but he took over a team with a terrible roster in a season. And this is where the transfer portal comes in big too. Mel Tucker got like 20 something transfers in and like 11 of those guys are starting on the, on a Michigan state right now. And Michigan state is playing a lot better football than they have the last four seasons because all the players that they were getting in weren't good enough. Uh, so Baylor's doing that now. I don't know what their numbers are with the transfer portal, but Baylor's a place you can get that done. And any coach anywhere can get that done. No excuses. You can turn a program from a bad program into a conference contender. I don't care where you are. Uh, I really think that, that it can be done. Obviously you need the resources, but if you have the right mindset, and I think this new guy has the right mindset for it. I think Baylor can have a quick turnaround. Yeah. I don't know if this is the year. I think they're ranked just cause you know, big win over ISU, but maybe it's a little premature. Maybe they come back down to earth. Maybe they only end up winning six, seven games, but I can see them, you know, turning around next year and turning into a, a nine win program again, like they were under Matt rule. And when they were, you know, before Matt rule, but I mean, we've talked about it. There's going to be a power vacuum when Texas and OU leave Baylor can fill that. And I think this guy can do it. So do I think, what's your question? Do you think it's more, you're, you're asking me, is it more of a, it's too early or are they on the quick rise right now? Like what, what, what are, what are you looking for me here? From, Basically from here? what I'm asking is, is do you think that it's kind of like that jump start that you saw under Matt rule? Or do you think that you shouldn't look at it like that? And it's something where it's like, you know, maybe they're on the rise, but they're going to come back down to earth a little bit this season and move, move forward and just uh, with. Matt. Okay. Okay. So I think if anything, comparing it to Matt rule, I think you have to throw last year away because COVID first year head coach, you know, got to throw it away. You have to start evaluating year two. So I think it's a very similar situation to Michigan state. Uh, you know, they're back in the top 25. We don't know where their season ends up, but they're playing competitive football. Again, they're playing a better brand of football than they have. So I think that he's on the same, that they're on the same track as Matt rule. Maybe year two looks a little bit better. Maybe Baylor strong on the Michigan state parallel. Michigan state may win eight games this year. Matt rule in his second year only got Baylor at six. So maybe Baylor and Michigan state follow the same path. Maybe they both win eight games this year. Maybe they both win seven, but then the next year in year three, technically really full year two for both of these coaches that I think is where you start to see, okay, can they contend for their conference? And I think that's where we really start to see where this rebuild process takes them. And after that, it's just the continuation of it. So I'm going to say, yes, I think that this Baylor comeback is real because it's been done there. Baylor's not a bad football program. They just have their, you know, they have their mountain, they have their really high peaks and then they just crater and then you can build them back up and it's not supposed to take a long time. You know, I, I really think the college football, especially with the transfer portal now, you can rebuild quickly. You can rebuild in two seasons. And I think Baylor is on the right track to do that. You're the big 12 guy. What do you got? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree with you. Um, obviously, it's a little bit concerning just seeing the fact of what they're able to do under Matt Rule just, you know, about like four years ago and whatnot and transition like immediately into the big 12 power. And then they kind of lost that. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily the exact same type of situation, but when you're looking at that performance uh, specifically against Iowa State, it's not like Iowa State was poor on the offensive side of the ball. Brees Hall was able to run really well. I mean, he almost got 200 yards of rushing. And it's not like even Brock Purdy was that bad. He averaged, you know, uh, two of every three passes being completed. He only had one interception. Uh, he moved the ball uh, for 263 yards. I mean, it's, it's not a bad game at all from the offensive side of Iowa State. It's just Baylor was able to put forward a good uh, defense, a uh, good, def like, offensive effort themselves. Um and they're also able to get that kickoff return as well, which really kind of sealed it for them. 
So, yeah, I mean, I feel like this is a situation where, like, this year they're probably going to come back to earth. Like, I don't know if they're going to be Oklahoma State at home. Uh, I don't think they're a team to beat BYU. Um, I don't know about, like, that Texas game, OU, Kansas State, etc. Like, I think that they've had a fairly easy start to their season other than Iowa State, obviously. This is an impressive win. Um, so, yeah, I think this is something where Baylor's going to kind of be on that quick rise because – when you're a prospect and uh, I, I personally feel like if you're a prospect and you're looking at the big 12 now with Texas and OU soon to be gone, it's like, well, if I'm going to stay in Texas and I want to be, you know, you know, if you're going to be that Texas prospect, then who are you going to go to? Are you going to go to Baylor? Uh, if they're having like this good a season as they have, or are you going to go to like a TCU? So I do think that with kind of like that Texas, the background to it and the fact that Texas teams are able to do really well in the big 12, uh, Baylor could be in a position right now to kind of fill that void and get the prospects. So I do think they're on a quick rise. And I think that it's kind of scary given the fact that uh, of where they are locationally, that if they are able to continue this and have a Matt rule esque type of rebuild again, that they could easily soar to the top of the big 12. Once you see those uh, big, the big dogs gone. Um. And then we have only two more questions left here for the uh, NCAA. Uh, the weekly question, I do want to ask uh, what you feel more confident, uh, what teams do you feel more confident in after this weekend and what teams do you feel less confident in after this weekend? All right. Uh, I think the obvious answer for me has to be Clemson in terms of least. Uh, look, they're falling off cliff. They're kind of in the same stratosphere as Virginia Tech in that regard, you know, confident in their defense. That offense is not showing me anything at all. Uh, how about I throw a couple another another couple ACC teams that got ranked uh, just this past week? Uh, Wake Forest, NC State. Obviously, I wasn't impressed with NC State going into that game at all. Now they obviously they wake me up a little bit. Uh, obviously, the Mississippi State loss is still there, but you know I think you have to kind of forget losses at this point in the college football year because things are so crazy right now. Yeah. Wake Forest. I had no idea what to make of them. I just threw them in the top five because they were three and zero. They are the best team in the ACC right now for me. Uh, maybe that's a bit of a spoiler alert for uh, this coming week, but they're the best team for me. They made Brennan Armstrong look human, and no one has done that this year so far. So that defense is a plus for me right now. So they, they look like the most complete team to me. I think they should be ranked ahead of NC State. I don't know how high they should be just yet, but I'll go with that. Uh, Got to be Arkansas. Love, love, love Arkansas. I picked against them because it was the neutral site game, but man, Oh man, if, if this game was anyone other than Georgia, I would be 100% on Arkansas to roll. Uh, J.R. Jefferson, their quarterback, is he, he's an interesting player to say the least. I mean, the the, the way he throws, he has a strong arm, but then he's also that dual threat guy. I, I was seeing a lot of Cam Newton comparisons, and I can definitely see it. I don't remember Cam in college at all, but the prototype is definitely there. You know, big guy, strong arm, mobile, runs you over. Arkansas is an amazing story, so I definitely got to go with them outside of them uh can't say i lost too much faith in a lot of other teams this week uh i mean iowa state who really cares north carolina north carolina i might be out on uh wisconsin dropped out of the rankings as well i don't know how high i was officially on them graham i mean here can i just say graham mertz graham mertz is done graham mertz ever since that first game against illinois has done nothing i think it was like five touchdowns to 10 turnovers it, ever since his first college game he's not good at football and uh yeah, Wisconsin's in for a long, for a long season, and then the Big Ten West is just a mess once again. 
So Iowa has an easy path to uh, Indianapolis this this year. So yeah, that's what I'm gonna go with. Not not too much on the negative side, but uh, yeah, definitely some teams that caught my eye. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's really anything to say negative. Uh, I don't think there's really any teams that we really differ on as well. Actually, I I kind of agree with uh, every single team that you brought up for highs and lows. Um, I guess maybe the only team I throw in there as a little bit more of a positive is Notre Dame. The fact that they were able to do as well against Wisconsin as they did. It makes me a lot more nervous overall for Cincinnati if they are able to perform to the uh, opposition standards as they tend to do um, or not. Um, I, I really didn't gain anything with Iowa either. Um, I don't think there's much to say for them offensively from that last game. I mean, their offense was the only one to put up points, but there really still wasn't like anything to say against CSU. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much else to say other than like, you know, Baylor, I think has earned um, a lot of respect, uh, Big 12 wise. I mean, I don't know otherwise, I mean, I don't think I, I don't really disagree with you anywhere. I think Texas, Texas is probably the only other team I throw up there just because they scored, you know, 10 touchdowns on Texas tech. That's absolutely insane. Um, so, you know, maybe Texas has found their rhythm again, or, you know, the, it could also just have been a horribly off game for Texas tech. I mean, what a high scoring game though, combining for 105 points between right. the two of them. And look, te- Texas, we can make fun of them. Texas has done well. Arkansas might just be that good. We don't know. Uh, so it starts first year, and, you know, Texas obviously has the resources. I think it could build something there. Why not? Um, the only other team I'd mention would be uh, Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh sure. was incredible against New Hampshire. They kept it up with their offense. The only thing that's yeah. stopping me from really buying into Pittsburgh, and look, they could win the Coastal. I don't know if I'm there quite yet. They got to show me something with their defense because they played nobody this week. But hey, at least they at least their offense was able to do what they do. So I'm, I know I know Pittsburgh's offense. I know that I know what I'm going to get every week. It's the defense that's my problem. I, I do completely agree with that. So I mean, I think that's kind of my highs and lows um, uh, there. I don't think there's really anything like crazy, crazy um, changing wise. And the final question I actually have for you this week is: as we have now gone four weeks into the college football season. I wanted to get your gauge on who are kind of your favorite, your, your top five favorites. Uh, you don't, you don't oh, you only name five? Oh, Lord, I can't do that. Um, well, if you want to name more, feel free. I have an honorable mention. But, like, I, I have five and an honorable. Uh, if you want to throw ten in, you can throw ten in. But just you don't, you don't have to have an order right ten. now. You no, just... no, no, no. I, I, I can hardly name three. That's where, that's oh. where I am at right now. Because all this play has been so inconsistent. Um <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can go three, and I'll I'll give you five plus one. All right. Top two, easily. Bryce Young, Matt Coral. I think that's obvious. I think everyone knows that right now. I'm just looking at Vegas Insider right now. That's the updated odds. Matt Coral is at plus one sixty. Bryce Young is at plus one eighty five. Bryce Young had another great week. Matt Coral on the buy. So you know, can't do anything with that. Um, but they have the big matchup this week. Expected to be high flying. But if Matt Coral looks bad against that Bama defense on the road, I mean, he's out of the race, and it's Bryce Young's trophy to lose at this point. So that's tough. Uh, I really hope Matt Coral has a good game because I would like to see him stay in it. But I mean, basically, whoever wins that game is probably in the front seat because that's it's not it's it's an MVP award and team success does play into it. I think. Outside of that, I can't I can't give you a quarterback right now. Uh, they have Desmond Ritter at third. I don't know if he's really lighting it up so far for Cincinnati. I haven't watched them yet. I I think this game is a big game for him against Notre Dame. Obviously, outside of that, other quarterbacks: Rattler, C.J. Stroud uh sam howell no i can't give you those guys like those guys aren't playing well enough 
in terms of running backs, look, Blake Corum for Michigan looked human. Uh, CJ Verdell, the last two games has not been the leading rusher on his team. That's been his backup guy. Uh, so look, Oregon has a really nice one-two punch, but CJ Verdell after that Ohio state game kind of falling off the radar. Kenneth Walker is the only realistic running back name I can give you right now, but so, cause he still leads the, the FBS in rushing and, and all that, but he looked mediocre against Nebraska. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't outstanding. He wasn't Heisman level against Nebraska. If he picks it back up, sure. But I can give you only really two solid names. They have Travion Henderson. I don't know what he did against Akron, but sure. You can throw that in there too, but I think it's really a two man race right now. And anybody else that you name, uh, I, I just can't see them being just uh, a realistic candidate as of right now. I think that someone else can emerge eventually, but I, I can't name anyone else but those two at the front. Uh, I, I, I can see what you mean with that. Um, currently, my list with no order. Uh, I mean, you, you, you named a few of the guys that I have on there. So Matt Coral, Bryce Young were two Sherons on that list. I would be surprised if they're not the top two. Um, I haven't really given thoughts how I'd order this. This, you know, I just kind of have guys here. So the, they're, they're my two favorites. And then my other guy who I instantly had on the list was Kenneth Walker. Um, Kenneth Walker has been great. Um, uh, and other than really the last matchup that he had, he's been just ridiculous with his uh, average and running yards. And he's, you know, breaking a hundred, he was breaking like a hundred yards every single game. He's been the like focal point of the MSU offense. And He's, you know, statistically like that Khalil Herbert-esque type guy. Um, and he's done a lot to raise his value. He's been incredible this year. Um, the other two guys that I had on my list, and I mean, you know, I, I, I can understand based off your MVP, but I'm just going based off of purely how they've been this year. The other two guys I had natural on the list is Brennan Armstrong and Josh Downs. Uh, I had Brennan Armstrong on the list because other than the Wake Forest game, he's been outstanding. And it's not like he was even bad against Wake Forest. He just wasn't insane. Um, Brandon Armstrong has been purely the reason why UVA has been destructive. Their defense looks soft. And when Armstrong's been throwing well, UVA's had a chance. Um, in the last few games, they've looked poor, but it's been a lot of like soft defensive stuff. I feel like if you like, basically, if I think if you put Brandon Armstrong, another team, he'd be one of the front runners for a Heisman, which is kind of why I put him up here. It's because he's been great. He's been really, really good. I don't hate and, it. I think I just go back to my team record plays a role. No, for like sure. said, if he was, I, I if he was on a better team, he'd be up there. Definitely. No, I, I agree. That's why I'm saying like, I don't know if he'd win it. I, I, I wouldn't think he'd win it. I'm just saying that I think he deserves to kind of be talked about as one of those five guys. Um, and the other guy that I had up there for was with Josh Downs is because he's been to me like the most impactful receiver in college football, other than like this past weekend where he had eight for 53 he was scoring, I think, every single game. He was putting up hundred yard, like over 100 yards every single game. He was the leading guy for Sam Howell. And he was still the leading guy for Sam Howell in receptions. He's basically been the focal point of this UNC offense, which is crazy to say. I don't, I don't think it's really been Sam Howell. Sam Howell's been, like, a lot of his completions have gone to Josh Downs. If you look at NC, uh, UNC stats um, overall, uh, if you look at receptions, Josh Downs is 32, uh, 32 of Sam Howell's 77 completions. That's not far off of 50% of his completions. That's ridiculous. It's not that he's like, you know, Devonta Smith level or anything like that, but he's, he's basically the Devonta Smith of this offense. He's the guy that you can rely on the receiving game, the guy that the quarterback's always going to look to because he's going to beat his man. And that's what Josh Downs has been, which is why I had him up there. 
the guy that I had on the outside of that list was Brees Hall. I think the game against Baylor that he just had really kind of threw him back up there for me. Um, he's someone that was one of the uh, five guys last year for the Heisman. So I think throwing his name back in the hat is pretty legitimate. And I think that that performance against Baylor is something that Brees Hall can build upon. And I mean, I, I guess you'll see with your opponents for Iowa State, but I think that Kansas game coming up next week, that's one where Brees Hall should really be looking to break that 200 yard, uh, 200 rushing yard stat for the first time this season. Uh, Kansas State, I, they have a strong defense, but I feel like just about anyone else in the Big 12, he should be able to put up 100 plus yards on. So I think if Brees Hall does that, he's no matter what Iowa State does, I think he'll firmly place himself in the Heisman favorite list sooner rather than later. Yeah, he'll definitely need to keep it up against uh, Big 12 opponents because that's what the Heisman Award is. It's stat padding against your non-conference opponents. And then once you get into conference play, you really got to make your mark there. And you got to have a Heisman game here and there. So yep, we'll see how it plays out. But obviously, I think the leading indicator for that is definitely this week's matchup between Ole Miss and Alabama at Tuscaloosa. I mean, that, that's just going to be an electric factory. That's going to be an outstanding game to watch. Big, big week in the SEC here. All right, so I think that's a good place to wrap it up when talking about college for today. So for Colburn Bergstrom, I'm Dan Steinbach. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. Come back tomorrow and hear our thoughts on this past NFL weekend. Have a great day and take care.